Welcome to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Talk radio to inspire, inform, and stimulate. Bringing you enlightened discussions with authors, creatives, innovative business and health professionals, and ordinary people living extraordinary lives. Sharing their expertise and life stories. Making a difference, one word at a time. Now here's your host, Vicki St. Clair. And welcome, everybody. <laughs> welcome, welcome. With a slight delay there. Um, so if you're one of the many people who feel the growing gap between the haves and have-nots, you might be feeling left behind. You might even feel less than. Well, today, in the second half of the show, we'll explore solutions to help you ditch that scarcity thinking and turn things around. My guests are Jennifer Cohen and Gina LaRoche, and their new book is called The Seven Laws of Enough, Cultivating a Life of Sustainable Abundance. First, I'm very pleased to welcome Dr. Tammy Nelson. Her new book has been called A Game Changer for Those Dealing with the Aftermath of Infidelity. Tammy Nelson is a board-certified sexologist and an AASECT certified sex therapist, a licensed professional counselor, a certified imago relationship therapist, and a licensed alcohol and drug abuse counselor. She's been doing this for a long, long time. A new book, or it's not so new actually, it's been out for a while, but it's still it's still there on the shelves making uh, good use. Uh, it's called The New Monogamy, De- Redefining Your Relationship After Infidelity. Dr. Tammy Nelson, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate being here. Well, you know, some books come and go very quickly. This has been out for a while, and there's a reason for that, I think, because it's packed full of really great information. <laughs> And um, I want to begin, Tammy, if we can, by looking at the state of marriage. You say almost 50% end in divorce, almost 70% of second marriages end in divorce. And affairs affect pretty much one in every, pretty much is very precise, one in every 2.7 couples. So with all those statistics in front of us, what's going on? How are things changing? (laughs) Well, there's a couple theories one is perhaps this has always happened that you know we're not that good at monogamy uh but 200 years ago we died at an average age of 38 so you know by the time you sort of got tired of monogamy you were dead right. before your partner was dead right and you know you can pretty much live with anyone for 10 or 15 years which back then was sort of the length of your marriage and you chose someone then based on the the value that they brought to sort of the business of marriage, um, who was going to help you on the farm or who you were going to pass down your belongings to. It wasn't really based on this romantic idealism that we have today around marrying someone that you desire. And now today we live to be well into our 80s and we have this expectation that we're going to meet someone, fall in love, be desirous of them for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, maybe 70 years right, of our life. Right. And and never ever want anybody else. Right. Well, <laughs> you say Sorry. that uh, cheating doesn't make us happy. There's a couple of contradictions I want to uh, get out here. Cheating doesn't make us happy. You share some numbers. 10% of affairs last a day. 10% last less than one month, and uh, the rest typically less, 
last than uh, less last <laughs> it's a tongue twister last <laughs> less than a year or two and you say that only 3% of men end up with their mistresses 75% of those marriages if they marry the 3% marry end up in divorce that's it's a really high number um and yet at the same time a marriage uh, if we're in a marriage and there's an infidelity, it might actually help improve the relationship. So talk to us about that, if you would. You know, the first part of what we're talking, you were talking about is that if you leave your, your spouse or your committed partner for your affair partner, it makes sense that the foundation of your whole relationship would erode, right? Because it's based on dishonesty and you know for sure that your partner is a cheater because they cheated with you so as much as you might sort of idealize this this affair partner it it does sort of fall apart after a while because you you um, have a tendency not to trust them now that being said it doesn't mean that you can't fall in love with someone else um but I see affairs and I've been seeing people who recover from affairs and people whose marriages break up. And so I see that there's really two kinds of affairs. There's the can opener affairs, which are the kind of affairs that people have that are a way to get out of their marriage. And then there's the wake up affair. So it's almost like you have a wake up or a breakup affair. So some some affairs really do improve marriages. They help people talk about their relationship. They help people increase the intimacy. They help people sort of like shift directions, um, you know, into what might be a better relationship. And that doesn't mean that there's been da- there hasn't been damage and that there's not repercussions, but certainly um, people do survive. Right, right. And sometimes it's better. Right. And you, you share a lot of solutions in the book to turn things around if that's how we choose to go. Um, you recognize in the new monogamy, um, you, you talk about those trust issues. You offer solutions for moving past that. Um, so who really did you write this book for? You know, this book was written because I was seeing a trend um, in a lot of people who were saying, wait a minute, you know, my parents got divorced or my friends of my parents or a lot of the people now that I see or that are sort of coming of coming of divorce age uh, came from a generation of people that got divorced or that were um, in relationships where the partners lied to each other or betrayed each other and they're coming to this place where they're saying you know marriage didn't really work in the way that they wanted it to and they're seeing perhaps a different uh, a different outcome for themselves. Like maybe maybe we can make this work and not get divorced. Maybe there's another option. Maybe staying together for so many years and being monogamous um, because there's really no precedent for how to do that. I mean, there's a lot of websites you can go on right now that teach you how to cheat and tell you how to find someone. Mm-hmm. But there's not a lot of of training about how to stay hot for your partner for, for half a century. So a lot of the people that I saw were like, wait a minute, even if we betray each other, hurt each other, which frankly, you're bound to do at some point in your marriage, even if it's not an affair, you're bound to disappoint each other at some, at some point throughout 
a long-term committed partnership, a lot of people are saying, well, how do we move forward from that? Do we have to, do we have to automatically trade our partner in for someone else and hope it goes better? Or is there another option? Right. So that, that was kind of based on this idea of, wait a minute, maybe there are other options besides just dumping the person and moving on. Well, you write, and I, I don't remember if this was in your book, Tammy, or if I read it on one of your blog posts, but you do write that, um, you know, after talk, working with so many couples over the years, the real tragedy is that people often don't want to break up, but they love their spouses, they love being in that relationship, but, um, but they don't think they have a choice once infidelity has occurred. I think that's really true. I think that in our society, we say so often, uh, you know, once a cheater, always a cheater. Or, you know, if they cheated on you, then your pride says, I can't stay with them because then that goes against my values. You know, I think we are not so much faithful or loyal to another another person, but we're loyal and faithful to our own values. So, if you really believe that a relationship means that you you never ever stray, then if your partner does it, then you feel like, God, I, I just can never feel good about myself because it goes against what I believe. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting because the reality is I think 98% of people uh, fantasize about someone other than their spouse, which pretty much means everyone except my husband. And- <laughs> And, and maybe your husband too. I don't know. That's, you know. that's that's more realistic, I think. And then, how do we deal with the reality of of our partner's own private internal life? You know, when they have an affair, it becomes much more public. But what about letting in and having room for our partner's own sexuality or their own private fantasies? You know, there's a difference between privacy and secrecy. And I think when we are so afraid of our partner's differences or of our partner's desires, um, our partner will many times keep those things secret. And it's the secrecy and the dishonesty, I think, that's really damaging. Right, right. I want to dive into that a little bit deeper, but we need to take a quick break first. When we come back, I want to talk about the difference between disclosure and discovery and how that can impact moving forward. My guest is Dr. Tammy Nelson. Her her book is called The New Monogamy, Redefining Your Relationship After Infidelity. Please do stay with us. You are listening to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. We'll be right back. Parkinson's disease affects as many as one million people in the United States. At the Parkinson's Disease Foundation, it's our mission to beat this disease. To learn about the Parkinson's Disease Foundation, or if you want to help support our work, visit our website, pdf.org or call us at 800-457-6676. In the Northwest, contact the Northwest Parkinson's Foundation at nwpf.org. I'm Paul George of the Indiana Pacers. When I was six, my days were spent playing basketball. When I was six, my dream was to make it to the NBA. When I was six, my mom had a stroke. So I want you to learn to spot a stroke fast. F-A-S-T. F, face drooping. A, arm weakness. S, speech difficulty. T, time to call 911. I'm Paul George. Spot a stroke fast. Visit strokeassociation.org. 
Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Next week on Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair, award-winning New York Times bestselling essayist and novelist Anne Lamont. She's known for writing and speaking about subjects that begin with big capital letters. We'll explore her thoughts on hate, jealousy, love, hope, and preserving one's sanity. We'll also hear from the host of the longest-running cooking show on TV, Marianne Esposito, about her new book, Ciao Italia, My Lifelong Food Adventures in Italy. Join us Monday at noon Pacific time and catch up on podcasts at conversationslive.net. Radio is very competitive. Shows soar in popularity and then flame out. Sometimes, however, a real connection is made with an audience and success blooms year after year. For over a decade, Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair has built a loyal following thanks to inspiring and stimulating conversation. Longevity, loyalty, exclusivity. Smart advertisers seek it out. With Vicki's valuable audience, the search is over. Discover the affordable, effective ways to advertise your business. Log on to Conversations live.net that's conversationslive.net today tell your friends about alternative talk 1150 and welcome back everyone welcome back well my guest in the segment is dr tammy nelson she's a board certified sexologist a licensed professional counselor and a certified imager relationship therapist and we're talking about the new monogamy redefining your relationship after infidelity um, Tammy, I wanted to dive straight back into um, something we were talking about before the break. I want to talk about what's the difference be- or how can this impact moving forward, whether one discovers a secret relationship or whether a partner discloses a secret relationship? Well, I think it makes a big difference. You know, the way that I describe affairs are that they have three parts. There's some kind of outside relationship is separate from your marriage or your partnership. There's some kind of sexual relationship, whether it's online or with a sex worker, or maybe it's a long-term like parallel marriage. And then there's the third part, which is the dishonesty. And the dishonesty can be on a continuum so that, you know, maybe you come home and you disclose to your partner, oh my God, I, I was at a conference and I had too much to drink and I made out with someone and I feel so guilty and we should go to therapy and let's talk about it. You know, that kind of disclosure right away um, with some insight is much different than if you find an email on your partner's computer that says, uh, you know, to their boyfriend or girlfriend, oh, honey, I can't wait to see you. I miss you so much. Last time we got together was so great. And you confront your partner and they say, I don't know what you're talking about. That's not mine. And you say, but this is your this is your email. And they say, that's not mine. I don't know what you're talking about. Somebody must have faked my email. Right. And they totally deny it. You know, the discovery of something um, can be heartbreaking, but then your partner can try to gaslight you. Gaslight is when you, they make you feel crazy for something you already know, mm-hmm. and they make you doubt yourself. And it really is the dishonesty, particularly that kind of dishonesty that makes it the hardest to get over. Right, right. So, because then you can never really trust your own intuition. It's not even the other partner. It's yourself that you start to be angry at. Like, I should have known. I should have figured this out. I can't believe I didn't listen to my my gut that was telling me the truth. And now I can never trust that intuition again. Yeah. You, you say that when trust has been shattered following an affair, it, it can be hard to... To, to learn to trust yourself again, as you just said. 
Um, and that building truth or, and trust is not about the cheating partner being apologetic. It's about both partners learning to trust themselves again. So how do you begin to find the way back? And the partner who's done the cheating, what do you mean when you say they too have to learn to trust themselves? Well, I think, first of all, it's not necessarily about the partner who cheated just saying, I'm sorry. You know, mm -hmm. I'm sorry is like skin deep. You could say it a million times, but we all know that I'm sorry is kind of like a, it's kind of like a power thing, really, because if you have an affair and you say to me, I'm so sorry, Tammy, then I kind of owe you now the forgiveness. And on the days when the relationship seems really out of balance and I feel like I have no power because, hey, you got to have the affair and now you get the forgiveness, I get nothing. So on the days when I really feel powerless, I'm going to take back the forgiveness and say, well, I don't forgive you today. And because that's really all I have. Mm -hmm. And so I think trust is not, it's not about forgiveness. I think you have to go beyond this idea of forgiveness to empathy and, and also erotic recovery, but we could talk about that in a minute. I think empathy is more of an understanding of what your partner did and why. And when you, have empathy for the other person. It doesn't mean that you approve of what they did. It doesn't mean that you would have done it. It doesn't mean that you even totally get why they did that. Maybe they, it feels to you like they've just gone off the rails and it makes no sense. But knowing them the way you know them, you could see under the circumstances what their motivation was. And once you have that empathy, then you can begin to trust your own reality again. Like then you can begin to say, oh, now I, now the world kind of makes sense. I mean, in the beginning, it feels like I, I don't understand how this could have happened. But when you have empathy for each other, then you can learn to trust that inner voice again. That you feel like that almost uh, uh, betrayed you. Right. Your own your own inner voice. If you can't trust that, what do you have? Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, you say there are some indicators uh, of uh, success indicators, if you will, uh, about if you'll be able to move beyond this situation. The first uh, we kind of touched on a little. Um, have you taken some responsibility for how your relationship got to this point and gained some insight into the behaviors that led to the affair? Um, you also talk about sharing your vision of a new future together, which is where this creating a new monogamy agreement comes into play. Would you talk about that? What you mean by that? Yeah, sure. I think in the beginning, after there's been disclosure, discovery, everyone's in a crisis, right? The thing that you thought you had is frankly, it's over. Like when you cheat, you know, you're breaking your monogamy agreement. You have this, either this implicit or this explicit conversation at some point about what your monogamy means. Like, and pretty much everyone assumes that you're not going to sleep with someone else. Like that's pretty much the unspoken and the spoken agreement. And so once you do that, you know that you are breaking that agreement, whether it's a vow, whether it's a contract, whether it's just an implicit understanding. And so really, realistically, your marriage is over because that's what a marriage is. It's a promise. And when you break that promise, you kind of have to start over. You kind of have to draw a line in the sand and say, well, okay, that didn't turn out the way I thought. 
And, and then you go into the next phase of the relationship recovery process, which is basically both of you looking at how the heck did we get here? Because this is not what we planned. Um, it's not really the vision we had of how our relationship was going to go. And I think people get to that place when they start talking like, you know, this was, this was our affair. It happened to us. We went through this. We had this, you know, crux of this turning point. Um, you know, our relationship fell apart, whatever, whatever that language is. Like joint ownership versus he did this or she did that. That's exactly right. Exactly right. So it's not like a victim and a perpetrator, like this was done to me. Usually, you know, people who can take some, a good hard look at where their relationship was heading, not to blame the victim, so to speak, but to be able to really look at where our lives were, they usually can get to the third and final phase of recovery, which is the vision phase, which is if we're going to stay together, if we're going to have a new marriage, you know, with ourselves or with someone else, but at this point, if we decide we're going to stay together, we need to create a whole new monogamy agreement. Like, what is it going to look like going forward? Because it can't be the marriage that you're church decides or your parents or your community or your uh or your ex-boyfriend or girlfriend like you as a couple have to create something new right right because the first one the first one didn't work (laughs) right so you can't go back to that one you gotta you gotta create something that works now for both of you right so you yeah you're drawing a line in the sound and moving forward building a new vision (laughs) it makes perfect sense um so i want to talk about um this and then we'll get I want to end with erotic recovery but um I want to talk about uh cheating used to be black and white it was a black and white issue you say in other words you know don't touch or you're cheating uh today we can lie in bed next to our partners you say and be cheating online um so technology has created a huge gray area um, you wrote in a blog post that virtual reality porn is already happening. You talk of having sex with robots, artificial <laughs> intelligence dolls. Um, yeah. <laughs> talk to us about that. Well, you know, a lot of people have things like Siri and all these, you know, all these interactive uh, things when you walk into your house and you automatically turn on your little robot that's sitting on your counter who has information and data based on your preferences, right? A lot of people have these, these things. I don't want to advertise them, but they're sitting on your counter. And um, it, it's not a stretch of the imagination to uh, understand how that system can be placed inside an actual robot. They have those now. And if you could afford one, they could be sitting in your living room waiting for you in the body of a female robot with lifelike skin and a vagina and she could talk to you when you come home and say hi honey how was your day and now keep in mind she has your whole calendar downloaded in her head because anything on your phone can be downloaded into a database in a in the brain of a of a robot so she's says you know how was your day and you say it was okay I really want pizza for dinner can you order it for me and she says oh honey you had pizza last night I think you should have Chinese food tonight And I know you've had a rough week because she sees your calendar. So 
she also says, you know, let's have sex. And it's a very interactive robot. So it, it <laughs> makes total sense. And you keep saying she, but I'm assuming there are male dolls out there like this too. There are, but they are not, uh, they are not a priority for the builders because huh, women don't purchase sex robots. <laughs> interesting. Well, I want to talk. <laughs> it's I mean, not a market for it yet, actually. <laughs> okay, well, there might be after today, right? Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, I want to talk about erotic recovery because you, you talk there are six steps of recovery and you lay this all out in the book. Um, but the, the step six is erotic recovery and it's very crucial to really moving forward in the relationship. We only have like two minutes left here, Tammy. Mm -hmm. So um, if you can just speak to that. Yeah, you can't move past an affair without focusing on your erotic life because an affair is erotic injury. It's not like you cheat with someone who can clean the kitchen better. So you really need to focus on on the, your erotic life. I would suggest to all your listeners that they have a sex date once a week and that you get together, whether you feel like it or not, whether there's something better on, you know, on TV or whether you're mad at each other, have a cold, you know, that that is a date that you don't go out to dinner. You don't eat rich food and drink wine because let's face it, no one has sex on those nights. But you get together and all you do is light candles, put on music, and you don't have to have intercourse but you focus on each other as erotic partners. Like that is the time that you uh, put towards it. Like just like yoga or meditation, it's a sacred time between the two of you. If you don't do that once a week, it's not going to happen spontaneously. People mm. think people think it should be spontaneous. Not if you're married and you have kids and a job and a dog and work. Like it's you have to plan it in order to be spontaneous. Right. Right. Well, um, interesting work, and the book's been out for a few years here, but is still going really strong. So I think that speaks to the uh, the wealth of information in here. It's called the New Monogamy: Redefining Your Relationship After Infidelity. My guest, Dr. Tammy Nelson, she joined us by Skype today, and uh, you can find out more about uh, Tammy's work at drtammynelson.com. A final, very quick thought you'd like to leave our listeners with, Tammy? Uh, yeah, I would suggest that you try in some way to have an affair with your current partner. So if you think about all the effort and energy you put into an affair, if you put just like a, a little bit of that energy into uh, the, uh, the relationship you have now, um, it, it's, it's amazing the changes that you can make. And I know that sounds somewhat cliche, um, but Consider the illicit, forbidden nature of an affair and see if you can do something naughty with your partner. Yeah, wouldn't we have fantastic relationships if we all did that? <laughs> Dr. Dr. Tommy Nelson, pleasure talking with you. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks, Vicki, so much. It was a pleasure talking to you. And uh, do stay tuned. We will be right back with the seven laws of enough, cultivating a life of sustainable abundance. We'll be right back. You're listening to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Next week on Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair, award-winning New York Times bestselling essayist and novelist Anne Lamott. She's known for writing and speaking about subjects that begin with big capital letters. We'll explore her thoughts on hate, jealousy, love, hope, and preserving one's sanity. We'll also hear from the host of the longest-running cooking show on TV, Marianne Esposito, about her new book, Ciao Italia, My Lifelong Food Adventures in Italy. Join us Mondays at noon Pacific time and catch up on podcasts at Conversations Looking for unconditional love, an exercise buddy, or a great listener? Pause has the dog or cat of your dreams just waiting to meet you. 
We've made thousands of perfect matches since 1967 because everyone needs a warm, safe place to call home. Find out more today at paws.org or call 425-787-2500. has taken everything and everyone I've ever loved away from me. Everything. I blew my ankle out and I got prescribed pain pills by my doctor. If making my detox public is going to help somebody, I'm all for it. I just wish I would have had a warning. Opioid dependence can happen after just five days. Know the truth. Spread the truth. A message from Truth, the Ad Council, and ONDCP. Hi, I'm Kathy Cooper, and every Wednesday from 1 to 2 p.m., I'll be hosting Lost and Found. We'll be discussing all types of losses, but it's not going to be the doom and gloom hour. It'll be an hour of education, support, validation, and yes, we will have a little bit of humor. So won't you join me Wednesdays, 1 to 2 p.m., Lost and Found, because every loss matters, and through every loss, something can be found. Conversations live with Vicki St. Clair. Innovative business leaders know to advertise here. Learn how affordable it is at conversationslive.net. No other station delivers this much variety. Alternative Talk 1150. And welcome back, everyone. Welcome back. Well, my guests now have written a great new book. It's called The Seven Laws of Enough, Cultivating a Life of Sustainable Abundance. And uh, I'm going to just uh, introduce both my guests, Gina LaRoche and Jennifer Cohen, our co-founders of Seven Stones Leadership Group. Together, they have 50 plus years of experience helping business and thought leaders excel in uncertainty and quick shifting terrain. Gina LaRoche is a graduate of Spirit Rocks Community Dharma Leaders Program and a board member of Insight Meditation Society. She holds an MBA from Harvard Business School. And Jennifer Cohen's work is informed by quantum physics, ontology, and neuroscience. She has a master's in applied psychology from Antioch New England Graduate School and is a certified master somatic coach. So ton of experience there between them. Um, I want to, uh, together they wrote this book, so I want to welcome both Gina LaRoche, welcome. Thank you. Thank uh, you, And Jennifer Cohen, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having us. My pleasure. So, um... Let's begin with, um, if we had to describe the book in 10 words or less, Gina, why don't we begin with you? Um, I read that it would be, uh, you are enough, you do enough, you have enough. How would you describe it? Uh, That's exactly what I would say. It's time to take that debate off the table and uh, really make a bold declaration that you are enough. And that's the premise of the book. And we have exercises and antidotes and stories to help guide us through a journey from scarcity to sufficiency. Right. And so, Jennifer, or Jen, we'll call you uh, throughout this. Um, You say that um, scarcity thinking is debilitating. um, And so, obviously, it's detrimental to us. Uh, What's going on with our psyche in that state? How is it? How is it debilitating us? It's a pretty contracted state. It's usually a state of self-deprecation and self-loathing. It's often a state in which we don't see others in their highest potential or good. If we're 
projecting that state onto other people and see scarcity in them, lack in them that would help us somehow if they would do more or do less of something and make our relationships less generative and less full of appreciation and makes our own experience of life pretty contracted. Right, right. I think uh, pretty much everyone would agree we have a lot of scarcity thinking going on right now. Um, I'm wondering, Gina, how you guys got together and formed this company and then wrote this book together? We met because I was in this conversation about scarcity and enoughness, and I had a at a phone call. I was so committed to the conversation that I would have a weekly phone call with some friends of mine to unpack and and walk this journey together. And and Jen uh, joined that call a few years in, and uh, we started talking, and it became clear that we wanted to focus our careers and our life on this journey of what is enough. And we brought her coaching experience and my leadership uh, consulting experience together to start the company. And as we worked with clients um, and individuals, people started asking us about our journey and we decided to uh, capture it in this book and offer it to our readers. Right, right. So there's a lot of talk about abundance and abundance mentality. I mean, Stephen Covey really talked about this uh, many years ago um, in The Seven Habits. Um, he talked about uh, love, fear, scarcity and abundance. And um, it seems to have got more prevalent lately, of course. Um, but I'm wondering how we make this sustainable because um, you know, I, I talk with a lot of people and I have many friends who are like into the law of attraction or the, and, and sometimes those collide and sometimes they come together. Um, but they, they, it's not always sustainable for people. So, Jen, what do we mean by sustainable abundance? We mean and we mean they go together, that one without the other from our experience is not the fullest or richest experience of life that we can have. Our definition of sustainable is ethical, reciprocal, and just. So for life to be sustained, for our energy to be sustained, for life to be sustaining for future generations, there has to be reciprocity. There has to be an ethic of care. There has to be a a restoration of justice on the planet. And as we course correct in that way, and as we live and deepen into the seven laws, we remember the bounty that's available, that's here, that was actually just a gift. The whole thing is a freebie. Mangoes and bananas, life itself is really just a gift. And that bounty wasn't made available to only a few beings. It was available to all beings equally. That's the truth of what is here. And we never say abundance without sustainable, and we never say sustainable without abundance. The law of attraction used to just get more stuff isn't what we're talking about. Right. And that's an important clarification, so I'm glad you brought that up early here. Uh, It's a very important clarification, I think. Yes. And for us, it's one of the things that distinguishes our work, is this isn't just self-help. It's at the intersection of our self-discovery and our relationship to 
participating ethically on the planet. Right, right. So I want to um, just touch on the seven laws. And maybe, Gina, you can tell us how you came up with the seven laws to help us achieve sustainable abundance. Well, the seven laws, it became clear to us that on our story, our personal story from scarcity to enoughness, we uh, walked a path, and and the laws uh, represent that path. And law number one is stories matter. Uh, We're all shaped by our stories of who we are, where we came from, and, and even the stories of where we're going and our future stories. Law number two is I am enough, and it's a bold declaration, as we started off the conversation with, um, is that you are enough. Law number three is I belong, and uh, you belong, period, full stop, regardless of the stories you tell yourself. You know you belong because you, you are here. Law number four is no one is exempt. And essentially, we can't insulate ourselves from life's ups and downs. We can't nip it, tuck it, or shop it away. And <laughs> there is freedom when we stop trying. Um, it takes something, but it does provide freedom. Law number five is resting is required. And just resting deeply in ourselves, um, nourishing our nervous system, helps us remember the truth of the rest of the laws. Law number six is joy is available. And finally, law number seven, and I often say really is the only law, is that love is the answer. So those are the seven laws. Right. And I I definitely want to go deeper into a couple of those in a moment. But I want to, uh, first of all, uh, Jen, let's take a look at the three myths of excess, which you uh, talk about in the book and kind of continues on from uh, what you were talking about before. Um, the three myths of excess are you can have it all. Um, having it all will make you happy. If you don't have it all uh, or you aren't happy, it's your fault. So how do we start turning those, uh, if we believe those, uh, and sometimes these, these beliefs can be very deeply ingrained in us, how do we start turning around that thinking? Practice is the simple answer. It sounds a little trite or cavalier but that's really the truth. To get out of all of the myths of scarcity and excess, we have to have a different place to stand, which is why we wrote the book. It's why we journeyed the way that we have. And the place to stand is inside the seven laws. And as we stand there and do the practices that bring us home there, we begin to unwind from the delusion, really, the really deep misunderstanding that we have on the planet at this particular moment in history about our role here, our relationships to the rest of life, all of those things is in profound peril and distortion and resting in the laws begins to wake us up from that distortion. Okay. So I want to look at the weapons of scarcity, which you say are deployed to keep us under control. And I think that's uh, it's very timely with what's happening in the world right now. Um, So uh, we'll take a quick break before we do that. Uh, My guests are Gina LaRoche and Jennifer Cohen. Their new book is called The Seven Laws of Enough, Cultivating a Life of Sustainable Abundance. You're listening to Conversations Live. We'll be right back. 
Next week on Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair, award-winning New York Times bestselling essayist and novelist Anne Lamott. She's known for writing and speaking about subjects that begin with big capital letters. We'll explore her thoughts on hate, jealousy, love, hope, and preserving one's sanity. We'll also hear from the host of the longest-running cooking show on TV, Marianne Esposito, about her new book, Ciao Italia, My Lifelong Food Adventures in Italy. Join us Mondays at noon Pacific time and catch up on podcasts at Conversations Live.net. This is Martha Norwalk. Every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to the Northwest School of Animal Massage, we cover the world of animals. This week, November 18th, it's a behavior training and healing Sunday with me. As an animal behavior therapist and trainer, I can help you understand your animal friends and solve any problems you've got going on. So plan to give me a call with your questions or any animal-related topic on your mind that you'd like to discuss. Martha Norwalk's Animal World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, a.m. 11. 50. Opiates has taken everything and everyone I've ever loved away from me. Everything. I blew my ankle out and I got prescribed pain pills by my doctor. If making my detox public is going to help somebody, I'm all for it. I just wish I would have had a warning. Opioid dependence can happen after just five days. Know the truth. Spread the truth. A message from Truth, the Ad Council, and ONDCP. Are you ready for something real, raw, upfront, and honest? Then tune in each Wednesday at 2 p.m. right here for Love from the Hip. I am spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and the host, Sakura Sutter. This show is unlike anything you have ever heard and was created to help others to help themselves. Hear me follow up with guests I have hypnotized and see how it has improved their lives. I will also spotlight amazing people from around the world. Their skin tips, live readings, and answers to life's burning questions. Join us each Wednesday at 2 p.m. Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Ordinary people leading extraordinary lives. Advertise. Learn more at conversationslive.net. Find out the latest about your favorite shows on Alternative Talk 1150. Check out 1150kknw.com. And welcome back, everyone. Welcome back. You are listening to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. And my guests in this segment are leadership consultants Gina LaRoche and Jennifer Cohen. And their new book is called The Seven Laws of Enough, Cultivating a Life of Sustainable Abundance. Um, Gina, before the break, I said I wanted to talk about weapons of scarcity when we come back, because you write in the book um, that weapons of scarcity are being deployed to keep us under control. And it made me think about some of the work that I do, because uh, part of what I do as a writer is, is marketing communications. Uh, I've studied neuroscience on, on the effects of marketing, and it's, it very much plays into this. Um, so I want to just get your definition of what you mean by weapons of scarcity and how they're being used right now. Great. Yes. For me, um, and you'll see in the book, there's a list of weapons and, and these are uh, being deployed to keep us in scarcity. So for some people, it might be alienation. Jen spoke about self-loathing. It could be distraction or hoarding. Uh, you know, we want um, more of, you know, more shoes, more boots, more coats. And so we hoard. And then I don't know if you've been over people's homes where they can't even walk around their house because they have so much stuff. Um, and, and these weapons really keep us uh, swimming in this sea of scarcity that we talk about in the book. Um, 
one weapon uh, and how I work with the weapons is usually I have somebody define the weapon of scarcity for themselves. So if jealousy is one of your big um, things you hold on to, you get really jealous about things, like really define that for yourself and think about your own journey. And then work through a series of inquiries, um, like who am I jealous of and what drives my jealousy? Where does jealousy live in my body? Um, how do I feel when I'm feeling jealous? And then create a, a action plan for yourself to move away from jealousy um, or any of the weapons. And the one I love around jealousy is, you know, if I'm jealous, if I'm jealous because, um, Ricky, you're a writer, you, you know, if I'm jealous that you wrote a book or I wrote a book, um, then I, great. So what action plans will I put together to write a book? Because that's something I want for myself and my life. And then I go out and execute it. Right. So um, that's, that's how I work with the, with the um, weapons. And for me, I say the atomic bombs of scarcity are the weapons of fear and shame. And I do think they drive a lot of how our experience of life is in, the, in these moments. Right, right. And going back to, um, you know, some of the writing that, that I uh, specialize in too, um, you know, techniques using advertising and marketing, um, people are using these techniques against us all the time, whether we realize it or not. I mean, it happens across the board in, uh, you know, consumer shopping and politics. Um, and we see a lot of what the Russians call fire hosing right now, which is they put out so much propaganda so many lies and contradictions that people can't keep up. It's deliberately mm -hmm. designed chaos. And it's meant to confuse and overwhelm us uh, so we just lose track or, or lose the impetus to try and keep up. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and we're getting that from all angles right now. So, um, so how, do we, how do we keep our uh, wits about us? And, and I think one of, the th one of the ways I do that is to actually limit my sensory input. But what other tips would you have for people? Jen, why don't you I'll take, take it, Tina. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's one of them. We do, we invite people to do a media fast to really check how much input they take, take in and really manage where our attention is. One of the things in the United States for sure is we have a president in the Oval Office right now who's a master at capturing our attention, whatever you think of his politics or whatever you think of his politics, but he is masterful at having our attention placed where he wants our attention. And as you suggested, Vicki, that's often changing pretty quickly. That's one of the techniques and tactics. But for us to actually reclaim our attention and where we're going to place it, are we going to place it on the TV commercials? Are we going to place it on the hate? Are we going to place it on the politics? Are we going to place it on the advertisement? Or are we going to place it on love? Are we going to place it on taking good care of the people around us? Are we going to place it on quiet? And that we actually do have a choice over. It may not feel like it. And because we get into these addictive loops, it sometimes really doesn't feel like we have a choice. But ultimately, our attention, where we place it, and our minds, our ours to be freed or ours to be colonized. Right, right. And, uh, you know, I'd also say we need to be aware of those sound bites because there's a whole team of people. It doesn't matter 
uh, which political group you're, you're following, there's a whole team of people there putting together smart little sound bites that will catch on. <laughs> so much more information. And it's the same in, it's like taglines in, in advertising. It's the same thing. So once we become aware of those, hey, that's a good soundbite, we can separate fact from uh, fiction, I think, uh, along the way. Um, yeah. So I want to talk about the fallacy of being self-made because you talk in the book and it's true that America is very proud of having, you know, self-made men. And um, you use the example of Benjamin Franklin and say, would he have, in fact, been self-made had his sister not stayed home and cared for their parents? Um, so, Gina, what, what do you have to say about the fallacy of being self-made? Yeah, I think many of us um, think that we've uh, worked hard and we deserved and earned what we've gotten and, and we've done it on our own. But we don't take into account the invisible support and in our country, usually that invisible support is going to come from people who are female, who are brown, who are uh, uh, less educated, uh, less economic status. But we don't think about who paved the roads for us, who laid the tracks for us to ride the subway, who's fueling the plane uh, tank, or who's uh, going shopping and stacking the food at the grocery store just to be there at our whim whenever we feel like going grocery shopping. So we are supported by uh, others, whether we see it or not. And if we start making the invisible visible, uh, we can drop our entitlement, drop our, this, our sense of exemption or that we're better than other people. Uh, and, and again, find this place of a communal rest in a communal um, uh, connection. Right. I, I want to talk about something that is, is I say pandemic because <laughs> I know people in other countries who have the same issue, the busy, busy, busy syndrome. Uh, law number five is resting is required. Um, you know, and why, why we've lost, um, we've lost this uh, idea that it's okay for us to take time off and just do nothing. So, Jen, do you want to speak to that? Yeah. You know, uh, right, busy is busy. It is a status symbol now, right? The 90-hour work week is a status symbol for white-collar workers, for the knowledge workers. Uh, there are plenty of people who've been working 90 hours their whole lives and have no status as a result of it. But we've, instead of the 40-hour work week that we fought for and people died for, we now have given all that up to be on at all times. And there's lots of reasons and there's a, a deep role that technology has played. But what it's costing us is mighty. It's literally costing us in our nervous system the capacity to be physically at rest. And then that costs us brain power. It costs us a relationship to our creativity, to our forethought. It costs us a relationship with the support that's all around us. We're gathering our will and our strength to hurl ourselves to the next thing. We're gathering our cold medicine and our caffeinated drink and everything we need to keep up and out. Right, And right. that's actually living in violation with how life was designed. Right. Well, and it's catching up with all of us. 
it is definitely catching up with us. The book is called The The Seven Laws of Enough, Cultivating a Life of Sustainable in Abundance. Um, and those two words are synonymous, sustainable abundance, right? We've got that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Gina LaRoche and Jennifer Cohen, my guests, uh, principals at Seven Stones Leadership Group. Um, Gina, I know you're going to give a, a final quick a thought to leave with our listeners today. Sorry, how about Jen? How about you give a final thought? Well, I'd like, I'd like to leave something around love if we can do that, Jen. How about that? Okay. Love is the antidote to fear. And as Gina said at the beginning, if we had only one law to choose, we'd say it's the only law. It's the law inside of which all the other laws rest. And at this particular time in history where we're being pumped full of fear, remembering that there are um, many leaders who have led from love, and it is possible to stand for love even at this moment. Love it. Love it. Thank you. Thank you so much, Gina LaRoche and Jennifer Cohen. Appreciate your time today. And you can find out more about uh, Gina LaRoche and Jennifer Cohen at sevenstonesleadership.com, the book, The Laws, Seven Laws of Enough, Cultivating a Life of Sustainable Abundance. Thank you so much, both of you. Thank you, Vicki. Have a great holiday. Thank you. And I want to uh, just leave us today by wishing our fabulous producer here in the studio with me a very happy birthday tomorrow, Mr. Eric Ryder. I don't have oh, uh, I don't have bells and whistles here, and I definitely won't sing happy birthday to you because everybody's going to be in pain if I do. But I have a fabulous day tomorrow, okay? Cheers. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll see you, the rest of you, next week. Thanks for being with us today. appreciate uh, you joining us. You can find me at 800 495 7617 info at conversationslive.net and on Facebook at Conversations Live. We'll see you uh, next week. Live well, live strong. Radio is very competitive. Shows soar in popularity and then flame out. Sometimes, however, a real connection is made with an audience, and success blooms year after year. For over a decade, Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair has built a loyal following thanks to inspiring and stimulating conversation. Longevity, loyalty, exclusivity. Smart advertisers seek it out. With Vicki's valuable audience, the search is over. Discover the affordable, effective ways to advertise your business. Log on to Conversations Live. Live.net. That's conversationslive.net today.